0: Welcome uh, Sir Lord Richard Shotton, uh, it's such an honour to have you back on the podcast again. It's been, um, it's been at least a week since I spotted you in a crowd and, and, and winked and then didn't really get a chance to say hi but uh, such an honour to see your wonderful face again and uh, yeah how are you doing? Very
1: good thanks, very good to see you again. Same. <laughs> um,
0: so originally uh, we wanted to, to start this project uh, podcast to talk about Richard's incredible new book it's called The Illusion of Choice. Tada! da you looking at the camera. Um, I just showed the book 16 and a half psychological biases that influence why we buy. Um, another must read if you're into the world of behavioral science. Um, it's uh yeah it's fan- fascinating. This is how long was the gap between your last book and this? Probably a couple Pretty of
1: much exactly 5 years. 5 so, years. Wow. Yeah. Um, nice. Choice factory was 2018 this was February 2023. 20- wow. 23.
0: wow. Yeah, I mean it it's a phenomenal book. I I read it on holiday. Um
1: that's <laughs> it was, enough, that is dedication.
0: Yeah, it was, well it, it it is one of those books uh where where you, you you just want this just full of lots of really interesting little stories. Um and I, I what I loved about it is also it's very easy to dip in and dip out of. Uh yes, it works if you do it in a linear fashion, but I found it was equally fine just to just yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, if, well, if I, I forgot something. I could go back yeah. in and still still feel like it was part of a story so yeah it's pretty well that's
1: that's good definitely uh, an aim was to try and make it as straightforward and simple as 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 possible i definitely felt especially before the choice factory an awful lot of the commentary on behavioral science was unnecessarily complex Uh, Mm. there's even a phrase and the academics are the worst at this there's a (laughs) phrase people use about psychologists which is they have physics envy so to try and prove that it's a proper hard science they wrap up their academic papers in an unnecessary level of statistics and an unnecessary level of, of of jargon. So often you read the original papers and there's a really interesting point in there, but it is hidden in uh, reams of reams of unnecessary, unnecessary verbiage.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things I love about your research so much. It's, like, you see, it's actually one of the things I admire the most about you is you, you're one of the few people, you weren't classically trained in behavioral science and I think most people no, who listen listen to this probably aren't classically trained in 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 behavioral science or many many other topics but you've gone out of your way to to become a a, I mean for lack of a better word an expert in the subject but you've you've done it in a very practical way you've found ways to do your own experiments and and then without necessarily Academically publishing them and hiding your data within lots of uh, uh, other
1: yeah, yeah. waffle, yeah. well, uh, you make it really clear and easy for people to understand. Um, that, that's absolutely order. I came to it when I yeah. was at university. But I don't think behavioural science was a option you, you you could have studied. I came right. to this marketing first. I was a media planner. Uh, started back in the year two thousand. Uh, it was marketing first, and then I came across. Social psychology papers and psychology papers, and saw them as a way to solve marketing problems. So It's always been the practical side of the the topic that I've been interested in.
0: What was what was the first one you did?
1: The f- well, the first bias I remember reading about was an idea called the bystander effect. So I was working on the um, blood service account and read a um, the Malcolm Gladwell book called The Tipping Point.
0: Yeah, this must book. be
1: about two thousand and four. At the, the the back of that book, there is a you know a paragraph about two american psychologists called latin and Darley, and they came up with this idea called the bystander effect which is essentially if you ask everyone to help you tend to find a diffusion of responsibility right. so if you want people to come to your aid to behave altruistically you've got to create a sense of personal responsibility so reading about that and i was at a media agency at the time uh, i went and spoke to a wonderful planner down at the creative agency a guy called charlie snow and said to him well there's this bias why don't we take it and rather go out and say, blood stocks low in England, please donate. Why don't we try and create that sense of personal responsibility through a bit of regional targeting? You know, why don't we start saying blood stocks low in Birmingham or Basford"? Now that is a very crude application and uh, of a verb of bias, but what hmm. excited me was it only took a couple of weeks. We got the results back and we saw that there'd been this 10 or 15, whatever it was, percent increase in response rates. So I've right. always liked behavioral science because it has this practical application. I mean, if, if you're a brand, you've, and you've got you know, five or 10 or 100 people working in your insight department, it's never going to be enough. Behavioural science is essentially access to 10,000 psychologists, academic psychologists who are out there now running studies that tell you about how people actually behave. So you've got this free resource, essentially. Why not draw on the knowledge and experimentation of some of the world's best scientists? So I think, think of this, not as just an interesting academic topic, but it's something that can practically solve your problems. Where,
0: where where do you go, where do you look? Is there a website that you go, if you're trying to look for particular studies, is it just as simple as a Google search or is it sort of something a bit more in depth?
1: Well, that, that, that's a great question. So if you start with the academic papers, you've got to know exactly what you want because it can, I reckon it takes two, three hours to read through an academic paper yeah. and it is often mind numbingly tedious <laughs> because yeah. there are these reams of statistics. You've almost got to decode what they're saying. Right. So if you just randomly go through academic studies, you, you could spend your whole lot, well, you could spend a year and you might have only found one or two interesting things. Right. So what I tend to do is, try and find popular books written by academics. You then can race through those often in a a day or two, Mm. and they will tell you 100 studies maybe in one book. Five or 10 of them might be relevant. Once you've found the relevant study, once you've read through a digest of it, then go and find the academic paper and check everything's all right, check to see if there's any kind of idiosyncrasies that you might might make it uh, irrelevant. But I would start really broad and populist and then move down to the the actual paper.
0: That's such great advice. And also maybe helps explain why your Twitter account is always on fire. It's like, so if anyone doesn't follow Richard Schotton on Twitter, do right away. I think it's rschotton or at rschotton. Um, yeah. But uh, it's one of my favorite accounts to follow because you always are taking these little snippets from books or articles that you've read and there'll always be some like fascinating little story that, that shares some amazing things. I'm, I'm guessing this is, this is why you're reading well, these. to try. Yeah. And find
1: yeah. I originally used Twitter as a repository. I wanted to use it as my own store. So right. I couldn't be bothered to write out some of the <laughs> uh, studies from books. I just took photos and posted them on Twitter. Now, nice. the, it kind of works well in some respects, yeah. but actually the problem with Twitter is that it's not a great for, as a search function. Yeah. So it hasn't, worked as a repository for me but hopefully some of the studies people find find useful. oh it's incredible
0: and and you never know elon musk why it might so solve the search uh query function i know he's talked about it or or, or you'll have to transport everything over
1: to threads uh yeah I, um, I've, I've, I've um i've dilly-dallied with threads and from my understanding it's already kind of declining yeah. in usage so my laziness might have meant that i don't yeah. want to bother
0: yeah, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? When new new social media sites come out that are essentially a replica of an existing one, you, you kind of you know, I, I, yeah, I I could see that there was a huge huge uh, upsurge in in usage of it, and you can you know get all these notifications saying you know, a million people have followed you, uh, not a million. I wish I was that popular, um, but <laughs> it's it's. Uh, but then yeah it, as you say it seems to have gone gone quite quite quickly like i think the, the the key people who who were doing really interesting stuff seem to have stayed on twitter it is a kind of i mean twitter's different things for different people It kind of depends on who you follow as to what you're going to see there so if you want to create a space of happiness and wonderful content follow people who are generally very positive and <laughs> Who, who you find interesting, if if
1: you want to be annoyed, then, I don't know, follow yeah, politicians. I
0: mean,
1: it, um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one because I think there is snarkiness and yeah. you know, people are often looking to, to criticise. And there is a definite downside to Twitter, but it still is pretty amazing that you can yeah. you know, select 50 odd people to follow on a, you know, I have just use it for marketing, advertising and behavioural science and you're getting some amazing output from people on a what is a very very niche topic. So mm-hmm. maybe applying the mute button is what I'm doing a bit more. And if people are just out to cause offence, then yeah, yeah. Just, it just it's just not worth. The, yeah, uh, it's not worth the aggro. Mm.
0: Agree. Anyway, sorry, massive topic diversion. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. and your book. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the things I loved about the book actually as well, which is another reason why. I think if anyone, anyone is listening, you'll, you'll, you'll really enjoy it. Is you take people through a hypothetical day and you link the behavior back to the behavioral change biases back to real life things that everyone might encounter in their day job, regardless of your job,
1: um, which I thought was was marvelous as well. Um, yeah, that, that was, um, uh, I think I might have read the, I think it was the, I read a book called The Norm Chronicles where they right. followed someone through a day and I thought, well, that's a lovely mechanic. So for the choice factory and this, that's essentially what I've done. So you follow an unnamed person, which is essentially positioned as you for the illusion of choice. There are 16 and a half uh, different events that happen. Maybe you get a pay rise, someone else is begging money and you react in a certain way. And then what I do in each chapter is take one bias or family of biases often, to explain why you reacted in the way that you did so each chapter essentially revolves around here's a set of academic studies here's the evidence for them here's some experiments i've done that prove they're still relevant today and then the most important bit is always the, the so what so most of the chapters look what do you do differently as a small business person as a marketer as somebody who's trying to communicate effectively what do you do differently now you know about uh, the bias of concreteness or the red sneaker effect or, or the bias of precision. You,
0: you mentioned pay rises. I mean, that's a good general one. All, we could all do with a pay rise. Uh, what's your advice there?
1: <laughs> oh Well, unfortunately, the the, the the bias, I think that chapter is all about uh, fairness. So there's some wonderful studies um, and around the idea that people's reaction to a wage offer or a price commercially is not just um, to do with the amounts involved. It's what they think other people have, have received. Right. There's a really nice um, study. I think it's a University of Washington study where two psychologists um, go up to students, and it is students, so take it with a pinch of salt, but they go up to students in their first day at university and say, will you take part in a psychology study tomorrow and we'll pay you seven pounds, seven dollars. Yeah. And they get, I think it's 70 odd percent of people saying yes. Then they go up to another group of people, fresh group of people, and say, we'll pay you $8. But they then mention a little white lie. They say, oh, I'm really sorry, but we were paying people $10 earlier. We've run out of cash. Now, even though that second group are getting more money, there is a, I think it's a 25% reduction uh, in people who wow. accept the offer. So that seems to run at first counter to classical economics. Hmm. Surely people should be interested in the amount of money they get for a job rather than what others are getting paid. But the argument is that we are hardwired to be deeply attuned to fairness. And if we feel that others have got a better deal, it reframes how we look at the offer. Now you can take a principle like that and you can apply it, I think on a grand scale or a very, very tactical scale. The grand scale might be to think, well, how do I, as a marketer, reframe my competitors' behavior as transgressing fairness rules? You know, that would be a large, hard to do, potentially very effective um, way of changing behavior. You know, think about direct line, line yeah. in the 1980s, how they reframed the insurance broker, not as a useful professional who gave you advice, but they positioned them as leeches who were just sucking out um, um, fees and adding costs on. So that would be a big way of applying it, tiny way of applying it. A tactical way would be to think of your e-commerce site. Most e-commerce sites today transgress fairness norms. What they do is when you've, let's say you've bought a pair of trainers, you've put them in the basket, $100, you're completely happy with these trainers. As you're just about to click on the buy button, what normally sits above that button? In most e-commerce sites, there is a big box that says, Watch, um, put your discount code in here.
0: Yeah, But
1: so people would have been completely happy with a hundred dollar price. They think you've oh, got these amazing trainers. Yeah. But the discount box essentially tells them loads of other people are getting this cheaper. Yes. That transgressive fairness norm and that University of Washington study suggests an awful lot of people will no longer be content with the offering. So I've, as I've a exactly friend, that. yeah, get rid of that discount box, only show it to people who have come via an affiliate or make it so recessive, like mm-hmm. Uber would do this very well. And just maybe just put a little tiny little link on rather than a big box. So only people who are really looking for the box of the, the code will find it.
0: You could, you could also say, I think um, we played around with it a bit. You could say like redeem gift voucher. Yeah. Very.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or you then, can, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Well, d- well, then, then you're thinking it's, it's not necessarily a discount code. It's a, uh, If it's a gift voucher, it's like, well, this is where you go if someone's gifted me something.
1: So, Absolutely. That'd be a lovely way of doing it. Um, And people shouldn't underestimate the importance of of language and how that affects Mm. interpretation of events. There's a really nice set of studies by Loftus and Palmer, uh, like a 1974 study that I talk about in the book, where they recruit a group of people and they play them a video of two cars crashing together. So everyone watches exactly the same clip. And you can still get this online. If you Google saying like Lotters and Palmer um, framing video car crash, you will yeah. come up. And then the, the experiment is they get people to estimate the speed of the cars. But some people are asked, how fast do you think the cars going were going when they collided? Others were asked, how fast do you think the cars were going when they smashed together? And I think yeah. there's five or six different verbs that are used to different groups. Bumped, smashed, collided, contacted. Yeah. And what they find is there is a 25, 27% swing in viewers' estimates of the speed dependent on the verb that's used. So if you heard smashed, people think it's about 40 miles an hour, the car's going on average. If you hear bumped, contacted, it's about 30 miles an hour. Their argument was that the language that's used to describe something acts as a a lens or a filter through which we interpret events. So you change the language that you use to describe something, you change people's reaction. Their interest was actually with witness testimonies and they were very interested in how if a police person was being kind of manipulative, the language they use when interviewing witnesses could change people's recollection. That's where they started. But you can see this being applied by brands or, or politicians so 100%. yeah in, in the u.s the big one is there is an argument between democrats and republicans for an inheritance tax democrats want to call it death tax no estate tax yeah. because that emphasizes you know, the, the richness you need to fall foul of this tax whereas the republicans call it death tax because they're trying to draw attention to the fact that it happens at a very inopportune time And yeah. frank luntz has polled people on their opinion of this tax and if you call it a death tax far far lower agreement with it than if you call it an estate tax exactly it's the, same, the, same we had the same
0: argument in the uk i think if i remember rightly like
1: um, spare room subsidy or the bed what was it yeah. the spare room subsidy or the what's the other way the bedroom tax yeah um <laughs> absolutely you know you see it a lot in politics arguing about yeah. the descriptor is, is is important so in the same way going back to your point of you know, ad gift voucher ad Discount code leads yeah. to a very different set of expectations. You might be doing the same thing, but you have a very mm-hmm. different reaction.
0: So, that, I mean, the only thing I can think of was on my head for, for uh, behavioural biases to use for, uh, for getting a wage increase is probably that. Was the, was it, you'll remember the name of this. I'm hopeless at names. The one where um, they looked at the judges and they were dishing out harsher sentences just before lunch.
1: Oh, now that's an interesting. when you mentioned that, unfortunately that is so the the, the principles well the principle seems to be vindicated elsewhere it's called decision fatigue right the study the Israeli judges one has become or has come under criticism right because the argument is and and also what the the Danziger study originally showed was um, proportion of people who were um, I don't know was it let out early by judges starts off high in the mornings and then drops over time till they have lunch they come back to yeah. lunch it's high again and it drops down over time yeah. and they harsher they're uh, sentences or something nearer yeah nearer, nearer, nearer time before and the the Danziger month. argument was it was it took mental effort to um, break against the norm and allow mm. people early release or uh, shorter sentences yeah and their argument was well over time we expend energy we become fatigued and then it's harder to kind of make those decisions so that that was the that was the argument right unfortunately someone looked at the data and said well wait a minute the people that are going in front of the judges are not the same over time often the right. harder cases are left towards the end of the the sessions so right. that study came right. under quite a lot of scrutiny people felt that in the end it probably wasn't a robust study However, there are other studies around doctors prescribing antibiotics uh, which show something very similar that um, doctors tend to give out antibiotics too readily because they know that it will get the patient out of their office. It'll make for an easy life. So what tends to happen is the inappropriate prescription of antibiotics starts reasonably low during the day. And just as Danziger found, but in a different setting, it goes up until lunch drops back a little bit then keeps on increasing until it peaks just before people go uh, away for the day so the argument is we expend energy over time we therefore become exhausted and find it harder to move away from what the easy course of behavior is so if you want to get someone to break their habits if you want to get someone to behave in a way that is uh, tough for them better to reach them early in the morning rather than later on in the afternoon evening
0: yeah so we can't necessarily help you with your salary but if you want more uh, more antibiotics well I, the mean, end the
1: end, the day. I mean there are you know if we're talking i mean this might be the most useful thing but if we're talking to people, if people were there are a couple of studies actually i think in all seriousness that if you were trying to get a raise you could think about so the first one is and this is why the book has 16 and a half chapters <laughs> the half chapter it's all about the power of precision. So right. there is a, and I'm not even sure if I've mentioned this in the book, because I think I might have stumbled across this study after I finished writing it after it had gone to print. But Uber have a team of behavioral um, scientists and they're constantly running experiments. So if you've been on Uber, you've probably been in one of their studies. Now these, are, this is a brilliant database because you don't know you're in a study. It's yeah. a really realistic circumstance and it's a massive sample. So it gets yeah. around some of those problems that afflict like the nineteen fifties psychology studies. And one of the studies they've looked at is willingness to accept a surge price. And the key finding was if you send out a message selling someone it's a two X surge price, they are less likely to take that ride than if it's a two point one X surge price. Now, the argument here is people assume a round price has just been plucked out of the air and it's probably been exaggerated to the benefit of of the brand. So they're a bit sceptical. They think it's overinflated. They think it's too pricey. If people see a precise price, they think that it's been worked out very accurately and only a small little margin's gone on. So... The application there for a brand is if you are charging someone five pounds your lager, charge them five pounds and five pence, you're in a rare situation which you can increase the price, you'll make the price more appealing, and you've got more margin. Flip that to a wage debate scenario. Don't go in and ask for a 10,000 pound rise because it sounds like you just, you don't know what you're talking about, just pluck this number out of the air. Give a really specific number. Now you want a 10,450 pound rise. (laughs) <laughs> suddenly your the negotiation you get into will not be well we won't pay you 10 we'll pay you 7 it will be we won't pay you ten 4, we'll pay you ten one. 1 yeah you, you n- narrow down that that space for um negotiation so i think that's a interesting one that is very very simple to apply
0: it's de- definitely a genius one i remember i think you wrote in your last book as well one of the examples i remember from that was i think it was car prices or yeah car price negotiations if you had round numbers you would um uh, uh they would they would discount it more on a, on a round number like you, you, your negotiation was was worse or whatever if it was, a, if it was like
1: yeah i would mean, to talk about the um uh the, there's a there's a you know a couple of studies around um precise precise pricing yeah. Why I like um i think uh it's a yanashevskian uh, shoe study which i, m- I might mention previously the reason i really like that uber one is it's not in a lab setting you know, yeah. the, the yanashevskins shoe i think they they began by you know, showing people pictures of blocks of cheese or right. pet rocks and saying either it's to some people it costs 10 pounds to others it costs 10 pounds 75 yeah and they did find that that people thought when they were asked when the participants were asked to estimate the actual value of the item they were much closer when it was a precise price Mm. i've always had a little bit of doubt about that study because it was such um a kind of forced academic abstract study i think the uber one has greater validity because it has such realism and if people are actually um in a real life purchasing situation they are behaving the way they normally would. They're not thinking. Well, how should I behave?
0: We did. Um, I, I have some some random experiences when we were buying a house at the end of last year. When we put our offer in, we put our offer in a very precise number. I think it was uh, whatever it was. You know, yeah. hundreds of thousands plus. You know, one hundred and twenty-five pounds yeah. or something. And the 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 offer we got back uh, was they wanted. Obviously, they wanted more, but. They didn't they didn't actually raise it that much? Um, and yeah, I, d- I don't know because I don't know. I didn't try the same thing with a thousand different <laughs> buyers at the same no, price, no, no, no. but it certainly seemed to work. Like, I, I uh, yeah, when you're going into negotiations using those rounder numbers, it seems to m- make it easier for them to just go, Oh, well, we'll just go up to the next round number. Yeah, I,
1: I think right. it, it suggests that you are open to change, you've not got mm-hmm. particularly. Firm views because it's mm. it is a suspiciously rounded number. Yeah, if you people, want to give a signal that this is something you strongly believe in, that you've put effort into finding out it's the right amount, give the yeah. people a precise number. It doesn't yeah. actually matter if what you've really done is plucked a number out of the air yeah. and then <laughs> added it a few other yeah. extras until it becomes very precise. But yeah. <laughs> that's that. I mean, that, that's one I would apply. The, the other one, that, the famous one, is the principle of anchoring, the idea that if you Throw out a large number, even if it's irrelevant, people tend to use that as a benchmark to start their estimations of their counter response. And even though they adjust from your initial number, they tend not to adjust far enough. So if you go into a negotiation, you're being paid 50,000 pounds and you say you want 55, the likelihood you end up with, let's say, 53. If you go out and say, you want £60,000, and I'm forgetting the precision bit, let's put that to the side mm. as a separate overlay, you're mm. more likely to end up at like £54,000 or £55,000. Uh, know, the the boss who is looking at your number will take your initial suggestion and then they will begin a, adjusting off yeah. it. And they never – or people tend not to adjust far enough. So mm. I think the argument there is – Ask for an amount that you're almost in bat, embar- or you are embarrassed about. Frankly, you're on the edge of embarrassment. Go out with that number; you won't get it, but you'll end up with a higher salary than if you just went worked out what you're actually worth and and, and opened with that starting offer.
0: I remember growing up; the advice was always think of what you want and double it, um, and and then ask that. I, I was I was wondering whether you were going to say in your example you could go in and say. Look, boss, I'm not going to ask you for a for a 1.5 million pound bonus, <laughs> anchoring the 1.5 million, and then say actually what I need is, is fifty thousand. It makes the the fifty thousand yeah. seem
1: <laughs> now <laughs> straying away from experiments into kind of expert point of views, <laughs> and so I don't. This one, people have to... We love these, don't worry. Yeah, they'll have to take their own opinion on whether it's worth listening. But there's a, there's a really good negotiation book by Chris Voss called Split the Difference.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant.
1: And he talks about anchoring. And he makes the assertion, but I don't think he gives any evidence for it. I mean, this guy's got a lot of experience in FBI negotiating all sorts, or negotiate least. Um And he says, anchoring works, but if you stretch the bounds of credibility, it can backfire it, it, it he right. says it shows that you're you're negotiating in bad faith right so his warning would be don't go in and say the million pound salary yeah it's think about you know there is a gray zone of what is a reasonable amount just make sure you're right at the edge and the boundary mm-hmm. of that that gray zone so i think that inkling of i'm starting to feel like i'm pushing it too far that's where you want to i think nice start with but I, I, he, that's his argument and I've, I think it sounds, sounds sensible but it sounds sensible yeah
0: yeah I, think, yeah I think I mean that's the great thing about human psychology is mo- most of it if it sounds sensible and it kind of makes sense to you it, often there is something in it um you know if you found yourself going oh yeah I've done that or thought that before then then it there probably is something in it. yeah well,
1: there, um, was a, there was an amazing because there's always this problem with some studies don't replicate hmm. and I'll try and dig out the link I mean we can put it in somewhere but there was a study done where random people on the street were shown psychology studies and they had to say, do you think this is a genuine finding or is it bogus? Like has it later been? Debunked? Yeah. Now, People didn't get it exactly right. People were pretty spot on. I always think it's a fair way hmm. of, if you have no other information, Google's not available. You can't search for some reason. One thing to think is, does this feel like hmm. horseshit? And if it does, <laughs> Uh, within a year or two the study often gets retracted i I think there is a smell test that's worth applying Um, i agree all that stuff around priming holding hot drinks and therefore thinking the person you're talking to is warmer it never felt like it was genuine i'm not surprised that stuff has often been retracted (laughs) don't Often, tell me that i dumb. always
0: give people a hot drink when i mean oh them. do you okay, okay. Well, <laughs> i make them sit i probably think
1: the- you're a very nice person for giving them <laughs> a drink but it would be no different than if you gave them the cold drink i, suppose
0: uh, I know um, one of the other things i thought you expanded on in this book which i loved was you're talking about moments in people's lives where um they were more likely to create or, or start a new habit and then the yeah. older book i think we you talked about nine enders and yeah. Uh, you about fresh start effect. found some other stuff, yeah, which I thought was brilliant because it's way more. You don't have to wait to someone to become twenty nine or thirty nine, which is helpful.
1: Yeah, and again, again, I can't remember. So I can't remember if I found this study after I'd written the book. I think I might have <laughs> even gone back and um, edited it right at the last moment. Right. But the fresh start effect is, is, and this was always in there. It's essentially a lovely set of studies by Catherine Milkman. It's the idea that we behave in the same way again and again because we feel a need to be consistent with our past selves. You know, we feel like a hypocrite if we start behaving differently. But her argument is when we enter new time periods, that link with our past self is weakened and we become more open to change. So her argument is target people at the start of a new season, start of the year, start of the month, after their birthday, after a public holiday. Any of these fresh start moments are characterized by a greater openness to changing behavior. And she runs a number of different studies that show this is the case. But what I came across later in a Behavioural Insights team report was an amazing study from the West Midlands Police who applied this in 2017 or 2018. They uh, did a test, sent out, I think, 2077 uh, emails or letters to criminals, people who had repeatedly been caught offending. And they essentially said to them... Do you want to start a new life? If so, we will help you. If not, we know where you are and we're you know, investigating you. So, you know, they would give them an offer to help with training, help them uh, mm. find a job and things. Now, when they sent those out at random times, there was a vanishingly small response rate. 2.6% of people called the helpline to get uh, the support. Same like 2.6%, I think. Mm. Other people were sent uh, a birthday card with the same message just after their birthday. And there you see, I think it's a 50, 55% increase. I think it was 4.05% wow. of people responding. Wow. So I love that as an example of even hardened criminals, these are probably the hardest yeah. people to change in the, in the world. Even they are more likely to make a radical change in their life if you harness the fresh start effects, wow. if you target them after their birthday. Now so, I know why
0: I got that letter. Um, and, and why I started this is, uh, you know, my, my, my days of crime are behind me now. Um.
1: It's, it's an element, I think, of you know, anything that is embedded in your yeah. life, anything that's a sense of your identity. Moving away from it is really hard because it feels like you have yeah. wasted previous efforts. You are being a hypocrite. But if yeah. you meet people at these transition moments, that kind of ball and chain of their history, that drag on um, starting anew. He's slightly weakened, and they become more open to change. So, frankly, if you're selling yogurts or gym plans or uh, trainers, your audience is going to be a hell of a lot more easy to influence mm. than hardened criminals. So, if it can work for the West Midlands Police, I'm sure it can work for those other other brands.
0: I think it's also genius if you're if you're a smaller brand where you don't have budget necessarily to 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 just have an always on kind of campaign or something you you could just go okay well we know that i don't know the coronation is coming up like bam we'll do everyone after that or if there's whatever bank holiday like uh you know the day after that like that that would be so good if you could i mean yeah you just get your facebook have
1: i mean certainly used to be able to start on facebook by people's birthdays you could identify people a week either side um a lot of people if they've got a database built up will know when their birthdays are Mm. um you know there are a lot of data signals out there if you put the effort into finding them yeah it's just genius i love that kind of stuff um
0: but uh yeah look i know i know you said you've got to run away so yeah <laughs> sorry take up too much yeah. of your time but um yeah were there were there any other things that you you absolutely loved in this book that uh i mean look regardless anyone has to buy this book is no, amazing it's a, it's a commitment um, if, if you've
1: listened to any further <laughs> you've got to buy it so it's a uh, all recommend. um yeah, the bit I mean, the bits I really liked were I did a lot more on how to break and then recreate habits. There's a lot more on that. Mm. That was quite interesting, and there's a mm. lot more on pricing, like how do you make the same price appear more powerful? I think that's an absolutely fascinating area. So I think those are all very relevant to lots of brands, uh, and then the studies around fairness I think are less well known, but have you know some quite interesting applications.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. Like, well, thank you so much for taking the time great. and and um, yeah. Anyone who's listening, you know, obviously, book is available at all good bookstores and uh, Amazon and everything sorry. else. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then uh, and then also don't forget to follow Richard on at uh, R on on Twitter, um, or possibly it's thread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. Cheers. Really appreciate Thanks. it. Um, it's, it's always an honour, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to hopefully seeing you again in real life. Thank you so thank much. You Cheers, Richard. Cheers. Awesome.